Song you just heard is Always Online by the band No Jersey from New York. Uh, that's a fun fact about them. And uh, that means I am Nick Bond. I'm Phil Schneider. And this is Phil and Nick explain wrestling to each other. Uh, so I know you're listening to this on the How Wrestling Explains feed, and we will be bringing back How Wrestling Explains, slightly different format. Dave is still stuck in time. He's still stuck in 1987, I think, at this point, maybe 1988. But uh, we're still best of friends. Don't worry. But he he can't record. So we're going to be reformatting that show. And in the meantime, I decided to start this show with my good friend and ringer colleague, Phil Schneider. Uh, and the format will essentially be uh, we will be picking a match, each of us, each uh, show, probably bi-monthly. So twice a month. Uh, but we'll see. If this catches on, this will be the week. It will be rich and famous, and this will be our jobs. Uh, what we're going to be doing every every episode is going over two matches. Uh, he will pick one. I will pick one. Most of my matches will be WCW or WWE matches. Most of his matches will be uh, literally anything but those two promotions, uh, except for maybe Jim Crockett promotions, like bleeding into WCW. Uh, but I think that would be about it. Um, uh, cause Phil is a historian and I'm a mark. So <laughs> these are going to be matches that you've never seen with people you've never heard of. And then you're going to be giving me WWF matches that I've seen and didn't really uh, remember particularly well, because that's not something I'm super interested in, but I think we're going to find some, uh, you know, I, I love wrestling. So, you know, I'll get a chance to look at some edge match or something that I ignored when it happened. Oh God. <laughs> I, I sure hope we don't have too many edge matches. That's a that's a little known fact about me. I love a good edge match, and I hate more than anything a bad edge match. Uh, but you picked a very good match. I picked. Uh, we'll we'll start with talking about yours, but I want to tease the people a little bit. Uh, we will be talking about an important match in WrestleMania history, uh, which I did not like, and you did. Uh, so, but your match, uh, I loved. I really did. Uh, you hit my sweet spot. The original idea for this was to kind of get us out of our comfort zones, and then it was like, oh, actually, uh, th just let's talk about cool matches. So, uh, tell them what you picked, Phil. The match is Yuki Ishikawa and Alexander Otsuka versus Carl Greco and Daisuke Ikeda from Battle Arts, April 19th, 1998. I go back and forth on my favorite style of wrestling and my favorite wrestling promotions. Changes all the time. Battle Arts is always, and that style, the Battle Arts style that is in other promotions, Futen for example, is always on going to be in the contention for favorite will be the favorite for a while and then go back, but then it'll come back to being my favorite. So this is the stuff I love more than anything else. Um, this match is especially cool. I think because you've got Yuki Ishikawa and Daisuke Ikeda on opposite sides of each other. They're the sort of alpha and omega that feud, which has been going on for 20 plus years is sort of the base feud for this style. Um, those two guys. So you get to see them, and anytime they're against each other, it's really special. Plus, you get to see Otsuka, who's his own special kind of weird, cool uh, stuff. And then uh, Carl Greco, a.k.a. Carl Malenko, he, he changed his name at one point, who is the maybe the best grappler in professional wrestling history, at least in contention for it. A guy who, you know, basically wrestled most of his career in obscurity, uh, had some MMA fights, worked battle arts, worked Futen, worked a little all Japan, but not very much. But it's just like a, one of those guys where it's like, man, every time you see Carmelico, it's like I end up sending uh, cl clips to like, you know, my rest, uh, my grappling buddy, Dan Macabe, for example. I'm always sending him Carl Greco clips and telling him, hey, you should steal this arm lock, uh, you know, just because he's he like it, so many cool things. So. Very, very good match. I don't think it's one of the canonical battle arts matches. It's not like it would make a top five, a family feud top five name of battle arts match, but it's real great. And, you know, just an example of kind of weekly. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed it a ton. And you know, yeah. Yeah. No I enjoyed it a ton. With any I literally didn't know a single person in that match. I'd never heard of a single person. Uh, I immediately liked Okada. 
and Ishikawa. I was I was like, those guys are great. I like the how they beat the shit out of each other. And you're like, yeah, that's their whole thing. It's their oeuvre is essentially them beating the shit out of each other. Oh, yeah. no, and, and you know, I those guys have been they were both trained by Yoshiaki Fujiwara, and they started out in pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi. And then when that promotion sort of became inactive, formed the Battle Arts promotion, which was sort of their promotion uh, together. Ikeda eventually had his own separate promotion, which is called Futen, which if you may find hard to believe, even more violent than Battle Arts. Imagine that if you took whatever you saw here and you just like said, oh, let's, let's make that 15% more horrific. That was Futen. One of my great um, wrestling bucket list desires is Futen is a promotion where we've got maybe 10 to 12 of the shows got were available on to watch basically on tape and got to the US somehow. All of them incredible. All of them some of my favorite wrestling of all time. And then there's maybe 30 shows that exist and are taped and are in Daisuke Akeda's garage and like, you know, don't are you saying you wanted heist movie? I, no, I heist, mean, no, my goal movie? at some point is to get independently wealthy and find a and, and form a, a band of international criminals to break into, for example, the Arena Mexico, uh, the the Televisa Arena Mexico vault that has all the lucha in it. Uh, you know, the W uh, WF archives, obviously the Billy Corgan's. Yeah, that's something we talked about yeah. a bunch. Is uh, is getting into the uh... Billy Corgan. Uh, people have listened to my other podcasts and know that I have a deep abiding feud with Billy Corgan because he owns all the NWA Houston footage that was briefly being released weekly. And then he bought the NWA and then it disappeared. And then of course, Dice Akeda's garage. I've got a, a plan. The Akeda thing I have a plan for. I don't know if it's going <laughs> to stay tuned for that. I'm working on that one. That's the most plausible of a the NWA went kind of keep talking to their PR guy. Like this is a real thing I'm going to try to do at some point is 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 free this footage. We did it. I thought you meant the okay to thing. I thought you were like that is actually a thing I do legitimately plan on doing is breaking into a man's home halfway across the world for some wrestling. Not his home, but I, I this is a conversation that I'm having with I'm, I'm having some back and forth with the with the, the well, well hold on to that. But I'm saying that there's a chance that I get the food end stuff. Like maybe a ten percent chance I get the food end stuff, but not a zero percent chance. One of my great <laughs> as a wrestling nerd is i don't know if you do this Nick. is is the freeing of the french footage is that we did do this we did basically run a heist for the all of french professional wrestling history like me and some other people got our hands slightly okay but then maybe not on basically the French television archives of French professional wrestling starting in 19... And if we keep doing this show, I'm going to make you watch some of this stuff. Starting in around 19... Oh, I would be very excited to. Yeah, I love all wrestling. Except for, we've talked about this, blood... Because you... I had to watch for the drawing of the illustration last week. I had to watch the fucking uh, Macklin uh pco match where the stapling i was gonna do and i was like i can't i can't sit there and look at this dude's face stapled together so that was uh that was the line for me i was like oh this is so gross also macklin you don't have to cut the top of your head off you can just blade like what was that that? accidental to me i don't think he was trying to do that i I, you (laughs) know wrote a book on bloody wrestling which is available on amazon.com way of the blade Go buy it if you don't have it already. Um, and, you know, and I've talked to a lot of people ver- about, like, I did, did a podcast, a Way of the Blade podcast, where I had lots of conversations, some conversations with wrestlers, and, like that. and you can just tell when sometimes it's just accidental. Like, he didn't mean to cut that much. You know, like, uh, Steve Kern told me a couple stories about cutting too deep. Talked to Evil Uno about cutting too deep in his match against my... It happens. And that's what happened to Steve Macklin. I'm also not a giant fan of pokey stuff. Like, I like a good fork. I'm not a giant fan of a syringe. I don't really love a, 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 a I don't love a, um, the Kenzins, those like spiky things. And I'm not a, you- if it penetrates in a way that I can't see where it's like the thing it's no, like the syringe, it, it submerges inside of the 
the I'm skin? No, 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 no. Not a, not. Uh, I don't usually like staple gun spots. I did think that was kind of clever, at least, and kind of way like. I did too. I liked it, but it's gross and I didn't want to draw it. But I think it's interesting that you use the word violence to describe battle arts because it's a very different kind of violence. It's a violence you and I both really like, which is just dudes beating the crap out of each other. And I I mean dudes in the non-gendered sense of just people beating the crap out of each other. And this is what this match was, but with some style to it. There's, like you said, uh, Greco is considered one of the best, gra- you said it, I uh, like. I trust your, I don't know him from Adam. Um, well, now, you know, but you know, he was- more called Greco match yeah. than most wrestling fans now. So they, you know, you kind of don't get his deal. Like that, that um, the um, like uh, dragon sleeper thing he put on, like, holy shit, what's that? His one-legged, flying karate kick to people's like a uh, bruce lee karate kick oh yeah that and that's what i'm saying is it's violent but it's in a, violent in a way that is like is harder to dismiss but easier to stomach like no it looks like i can't in other words i don't mean like oh my god i'm gonna have nightmares about this dude wrenching this guy's arm or whatever but it, it is harder to differentiate what is the show and what is him putting a little stank on the thing that he has a little tight that he's doing for show? Does that make sense? Like how much, how stiff are they being? How tight are they being? How snug are they being? Like all of these things. And that is where I love watching wrestling is that kind of in the match. I don't know totally what's happening. I don't know how much is planned out, how much is I'm going to put you in this and then we're going to figure out the rest of the match. Like the idea of calling a match like that is so much more interesting to me than calling a match like a John. I love John Cena, but a John Cena match where it's, we're going to do this. We're going to hit this spot. I have five moves of doom. And this is how we're going to translate the rest of the story through that. This match was worked out. I assume they knew who was going to win, but these guys are all for all MMA. Although not Ikeda, I think. But Ishikawa, Otsuka, Gra- uh, Greco are all MMA fighters. They're all guys who fought in Pride, uh, in addition to being pro wrestlers. Pro wrestlers first, but also MMA fighters. And I think that most battle arts matches, they just went in and they just fucking beat each other up until they said, we'll do it for about 15 minutes, then you'll go over. But I, don't, I, I imagine that almost all of this wasn't even, wasn't even called in the ring, but just these guys, like, working. Like, I don't... I, sparring. I imagine, sparring yeah. with the idea of the end spot's going to be this so let let's focus on the leg during this training session essentially would that be a fair way to put it or is that even too forward I, yeah, thinking? I, think, I mean i think that the, these guys are are showmen for sure right but yeah. you know they have a oh, very, clearly they have a very specific idea about the way that professional wrestling is supposed to look right well, there's an amazing uh an interview that somebody did with Ishikawa, you know i don't know 20 15 years ago and i was trying to find the because i found the quote uh, the the interviewer asked her, why do you and Ikeda hit each other harder than other wrestlers hit each other? Which is a great question because it's accurate. <laughs> you do. And he goes, and what Ishikawa said is because we are not hitting each other. We are hitting the fucking stupid people in the world who think pro wrestling is fake like a trained monkey show. They say pro wrestling kicks are fake, so it is not painful. Once they see our fight, they have nothing to say. They watch our fight like a fool with their mouth open with surprise. So our violent fight is not only for our opponents, but for the fucking people who make light of battle arts, our fight is anger towards people who make light of us. Uh, so, so it's closer to a martial art in a traditional sense. Yeah, this is it's a trade. No, they're not doing a trained monkey show. No trained monkey show for these guys. These guys are gonna go. In these there. are real monkeys, really going at it. <laughs> yeah. And I, and so you know that's the sort of uh, idea of Ikeda. At Ishikawa, I talked to Daniel Makaba. He was a, a buddy of mine and a pro wrestler um, in the Pacific Northwest, a really talented guy who actually had a chance to work in Germany with Ikeda and Ishikawa in a tag match. And he remembered, he talked about how those guys, uh, and I did a whole podcast with him about Ishikawa and Ikeda, folks who listen to One Way of the Blade, where we went deep into one of their matches with each other and talked about this. But one of the things he mentioned was, you know, I, they were going through the tag match in the back and Ikeda, who's a guy who worked in NOAA for a while, which is a, a, a more traditional Japanese professional wrestling promotion, the one Kenta Kobashi, Masawa, those guys all went to after all Japan. He was a NOAA roster member for a long time. And and he was like calling all of these, like when you're going through, you're discussing all these false finishes. And then Ishikawa was making fun of him. 
It's like, oh, you want to do this near fall? <laughs> you spent too much time in Noah, right? Like, like you're trying to make this oh, I'm not interested in this shit. Like, actually, like, teasing him because he called, like, a two-count, a couple two-count sequences. He's like, ah, we don't do that. We just go out there and we do this thing. <laughs> yeah, I kick you in the head, you kick me in the ribs, and then I kick you in the head again, and you kick me in the ribs twice. That's yeah. what we <laughs> and, oh, and we don't say that, we just do it. It's like it kicks you in the eye, and then Ishikawa takes his fist and tries to ram it through your throat, and then he tries to rip the tendons of your arm out. Um, which is Who kind amongst of, us, though. Yeah, no, it's my favorite, <laughs> favorite stuff. I love it so much. And and you know, we talk about violence in this stuff. We get nerded out by staple gun. I would so much rather take a staple gun than have Dustaisuke Akeda kick me full force in the head. Like that's so much safer than like like oh I, yeah. oh I'm gonna fall into some glass. I bet that's gonna hurt a little bit. You know what really hurts is is uh, Yuki Ishikawa concussions wearing <laughs> temple as hard as he can. Yeah, yeah, being in an actual fight. Like that that's worse. <laughs> Way worse with an actual, you know, master uh jujitsu black belt and, and 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 MMA guy it's, you know I think Ish- Ishikawa both both of these all, all these guys were mostly both uh MMA jobbers, right? I mean you weren't guys these weren't guys who had mm-hmm. a lot of wins. Otsuka had one big win in his career beat Marco Huas somehow but i don't think i ever wanted another and ishikawa was like so it'd be like ishikawa fought like rampage jackson and pride not competitively you know like did about his look you know got his ass kicked by rampage jackson and pride I think. he actually just brought the com- tomato can to the ring just so we weren't confused they had a lot of guys who were like a lot of pro wrestlers would dabble in pride and most of the time get their shit pushed in but every once in a while you know uh, Sakuraba would be the famous one who was a guy who like went from pro wrestling to being an incredibly successful MMA fighter but most of those guys would get their ass kicked you know okay that's st- still pretty badass that they did it you know so it, th- this is an interesting question for me then and because you do follow MMA somewhat right like somewhat. you know like you yeah you I know did. who people are sure yeah so to you and we've seen it work one way to the other. Like, is Lesnar basically the only guy you could see? Like, is he the first and only guy essentially that would be able to switch back and forth? Uh, starting having started in pro wrestling, does that make sense? Like, do you think that MMA has become so specialized that the the wrestling style of performance kind of prevents you from getting being able to switch back and forth, if not maybe transition full time? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. You know, I, I think Bobby Lashley's been relatively successful when he did MMA. I mean, a lot of those guys that do it are like the first thing they did. They were, you know, NCAA championship amateur wrestling, mm-hmm. right? There is a certain yeah. a history of people transitioning successfully from that background into MMA, right? Like I was a really, really, really high level amateur wrestler, and now I can uh, use that to keep people from taking me down, and then I can punch them. Right, because you know, it's like the as a guy who uh, fought uh, uh, boxing for a lot for uh, some time in my youth, I was a Golden Gloves boxer. The boxing technique in mixed martial arts is usually not very good. I mean, it's different. You're trying to do different things, but yeah. you don't have like super high level boxers. So a lot of times with these wrestlers, it's like what they can do is avoid being taken down, and then they can just throw haymakers like they're in a bar fight and they're big strong muscle dudes and they can knock people out so that's like a lot of your real successful uh wrestlers like that but you know that's what randy couture was that's what a lot of these guys are so i don't know if that's necessarily true i imagine that somebody like otis for example might be able to Mm -hmm. stay you know a second tier mma heavyweight if he decided he wanted to do that instead right because he's got that you know Amateur world class, yeah. Amateur wrestling wrestling background. I'm sure. uh, I'm sure. Chad uh, Chad Gable would be a would be a fine MMA fighter if he wanted. Yeah, that's actually somebody I'd be interested in seeing, and I would be interested in. And I don't like to do the all. Could you imagine? But someone like Chad Gable would have, I think, been interesting in something like this, uh, because he seems to be one of the few guys that can switch between show. And even more so than I feel like, uh, and maybe not more so, I think that's unfair to Kurt, but uh, like a Kurt Angle where it's like, they're so talented at 
both the pro and the wrestling. Like I, I think in particular watching something like this, I see, a, I could see a guy like Chad Gable flourishing, uh, but maybe not fitting in personality wise. Yeah. I mean, Riddle was a pretty, was a decent UFC fighter, you know, uh, mm-hmm. before, you know, before he got suspended, you know, Tom Lawler was a pretty good UFC fighter. In terms of, there's a lot of a long history of people transitioning between real fighting and, and, and yeah. professional wrestling. That but no, I more mean uh, battle arts in terms of watching uh Gable and battle arts. I think this is a style. Yeah, he would have been greater than that, I think. I mean, I don't know if he's willing yeah. to. I mean, there's also a certain kind of. You got to be kind of the kind of sick lunatic who's willing to let Daisuke Kid kick you as hard as he can in the face. And maybe that, that's not something Chad Gable would be interested in. Um, you know, there are some. There are some people who do work sort of this style currently in the U.S. Um, it's not completely dead. It's mostly dead. But like I mentioned, my buddy Dan McCabe, he's worked some matches like this. Dominic Carini, who's worked MLW and is a guy in IWTV, he, he has some matches like this. Tom Lawler, who was a UFC fighter for a long time, has done some stuff similar to this. Um, you know, they've got um, Bloodsport, which is a promotion that... Mm-hmm. Uh, that um, Moxley does that, right? With uh, Josh Barnett and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport. Now, those aren't entirely battle i mean you know i get i can be very i'm like a, like if you you know somebody who's like really into a we're very specific music style and go well that's not really third wave emo you know so i get a little bit like that with like like shoot style it's like ah well that's a forearm you're not really gonna see these ways fucking exchange forearms that's monkey show stuff so every once in a while i'll watch i'll watch like blood Sword. guy that's some monkey show stuff daisuke akeda wouldn't appreciate that he would uh (laughs) if you tried to call that spot of that so there's some of that stuff but there's some pretty uh there's been some pretty good matches um in certainly in blood sport history that have had worked in that style thatcher does some stuff like that thatcher's the guy who's worked at chicago a couple times in the u.s yeah u.s in europe Never and in to- the match, I think in the match, I think what's interesting is that the way that it builds is not what you think. It's built like a wrestling match, right? To some extent. But it's not babyface gets the shine, like then the heat get the heel gets the heat, and then you get the cut. It's like a match. Like it's a fight. And I think the oh, the thing that kind of breaks that illusion, but I think they use pretty well, is the tag aspect. I think what makes this match interesting as a first view into this world is the fact that they can tag in and out, which, as I understand it, is not a common feature in MMA fighting. Is, uh, <laughs> am I correct in that? Although there are um, mixed martial arts tag matches those, those do exist they're often very so stupid but they do happen there's, there's always like there's like some russian mma promotions that do like just weird stupid stuff like what would happen if one fat guy fought three small guys and you know, like, things like those will be matches that exist and there are tag matches uh there's some promotions in japan that did shoot tag matches but not usually with like mm double teaming and cutoffs and stuff like that. They were just two guys would fight tag out and two other guys would fight. Yeah. When we talk about like the sort of shoot style, um, like the, uh, the history of it and the way it works, battle arch is some of the more pro wrestling as shoot style versus something like, uh, UWFI, which was a little less, although they had tag matches too. And, and the first UWFs, um, there were some sh- some changes there, but Battle Arch uh, and then Rings, which is the promotion that Akira Maeda started after um, he left the UWF in the eighties. That's the most. That's the one that resembles the most shoot fighting to the fact where at some point it just turned into a shoot fighting promotion. It just stopped being pro wrestling and turned into real fights. Somebody punched somebody too hard and they were like, that's it. (laughs) The rise of stuff. And then then the first ever, really the first ever mixed martial arts promotion, Pancrase was a pro wrestling promotion where the guys in the pro wrestling promotion decided that they were wanting to fight for real. That's how it ended up happening is your guys who started Pancrase are you know, Matsukatsu Funaki, Ken Shamrock, and Minoru Suzuki. And those guys were guys who were part of uh, originally, I don't think Shamrock was, but originally uh, Suzuki and Funaki were New Japan trainees who left New Japan 
to join the UWF when the UWF broke off the second time. Then we're part of Pro Wrestling Fujiwara Gumi. Left Pro Wrestling Fujiwara Gumi, started Pancrase Grace and said, hey, what if we just didn't uh, have, we just fought? And so Pancras was, that's how it started. It started as a, it was a pro wrestling. It functionally was a pro wrestling promotion, except one where yeah. the fights were not fixed, mostly. Although it's like, the thing about Pancras, that, you know, you get when you get guys like our colleague, John Snowden, who's the real expert in this, you know, a lot of it is like, you'll look at a Pancras show and go, ah, these three seemed right. This one might've been, this guy might've carried this guy a little bit, like could have beat him in six minutes and beat him in, nine this one was a was fixed like it really is like it's like yeah. it's, the, the mystery of pancreas is like some of that stuff is just is was worked especially shamrock before he went to the first ufc he dropped the king of pancreas title and dropped it the way you drop a title because you know the way, the way, right. the way the, you know, that that one was he 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 did a job he did the job on the way out of the territory in a way that you know that was mostly considered not a again you know John's the expert in this he's the guy who wrote the Shamrock biography he'll tell you the details but that was understood that Shamrock kind of dropped that in a wrestling way but you know that's what so MMA in a, a lot of ways started as pro wrestling in a real way. Um, but yes, that yeah. always a little more. It'll always have like you know bigger suplexes and a, you know maybe even a little rope running. You know it had a more pro wrestling vibe, and there are definitely some battle arts matches that are more. That's like- the other thing. There's no like whips or anything really in this match, and it's like until you said, I didn't realize, and I was like, oh wait, oh that's why it felt so. Yeah, they don't still do- not in a bad way, but very intense and and centered and focused and not playing to the crowd as much as being like this is what we're presenting i mean did otsuka do a giant swing in this match do you remember i mean i i i, I, I don't think so i i big I, spot though he i mean so th- that point yeah. is like you know he does do a giant swing <laughs> so it's like there yeah. is stuff in there that is pro- i mean otsuka especially is a guy who who really will do add in some really you know like bridge german suplexes and stuff like that that are like not yeah. The kind of thing you'd really see even in a. Well, she looks like a cartoon character wrestler, like the with the outfit and the way he's built. He like looks like he looks like if you were draw a wrestler, that's what it would look like. He's you know right. what I'm saying? So it makes sense. He's maybe he's got some of the coolest suplexes in wrestling history. He's like the, one of the great suplex guys. Where he'll just like you know absolutely have this you know incredible bridge and incredible lift, and incredibly violent finish. He's like one of those guys like. You know, almost like the way. I mean, I think he's a much more complete wrestler than Taz ever was, but has that sort of like these suplexes look as bad, nasty as the nastiest ECW, uh, um, you know, p- Pulp Fiction music Taz suplexes. <laughs> like this guy's great right well, he's so low to the ground. I uh, so he he's from Long Island, which is where I grew up, um, and I've known people who interacted with him, like sold him patio furniture, and they were like, he is uh, basically, and I mean this in the nicest, most respectful way possible, a human chode. The man is like as deep and wide as he is tall. Like he's just a bowling ball of a person. So I'd imagine just based on how physics and fulcrums work, like his just have to be more devastating if he can lift you because it's just, you're snapping on such like a tight angle. (laughs) Problem with Huck, who I like, but it's like too normal a looking person. Exactly. It's like, yeah, no, the suplexes are great, but the reason your dad looked dope is because he was a bowling ball with arms that threw people around. <laughs> too, too proportional is the problem. My, my one issue. You freak. <laughs> normal person with normal sized arms and legs and a handsome, as opposed to just looking like like a, like a mailbox who was gonna, <laughs> you know, like just kind of the the Taz thing. Um, yeah, you just covered a mailbox in gabagool, and that's <laughs> so. Yeah, and a lot of this this MMA mix up is is funny because the other match that we picked is uh, perhaps the most sports entertainment match of all time. It is the main event. I do. But the things I liked the most about it were the things that were similar to battle arts. We'll talk about it yeah. in a second. But I. <laughs> Is the main event of WrestleMania one, which is Rowdy Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff versus, I always have trouble with his name, um, and versus Mr. T and Hulk Hogan, because I want to pronounce it the way it's spelled. 
Orndorf or Mr. T? Because Mr. T is pronounced the way it's spelled. M-R-D-O-R-F. <laughs> no, Mr. T I'm good with. <laughs> okay. But that, so when we, come, yeah, when we get back from the break, uh, we will talk about that match and uh, compare and contrast, basically, because uh, the differences, I believe, could not be more stark. Uh, Phil disagrees, but uh, we'll be right back. In 2017, Universal Studios announced The Dark Universe, an ambitious project that would see all of their classic movie monsters come together like some kind of horror Avengers. Only one movie was ever made, which bombed so hard they canceled the entire franchise. But what if they hadn't? On our podcast, Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe, we imagine the connected horror universe that never was. Every week, one of us pitches the other on the next movie in the universe until we grow to Marvel proportions and beyond. So far, we've tackled Frankenstein, The Wolfman, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and many more, and we're just getting started. Follow along on your favorite podcast app and ask yourself the question, Are you afraid of the dark universe? And uh, thank you to the boys uh, from Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe for their wonderful little ad. Definitely check out that podcast. Uh, And we are back on uh phil and nick explain wrestling to each other uh and we are discussing the main event of wrestlemania one which is a tag match between paul orndorf (sighs) rowdy roddy piper mr t and hulk hogan uh it is basically uh and i wrote about this for the ringer um it is a sequel to the or the third in a trilogy for the brawl to settle this no is the war to settle the score and the brawl for it all uh this is basically like the third of that storyline that rock and wrestling the like inception of the rock and wrestling uh universe essentially this is the flashpoint i guess you would call it um and uh from that comes this match which is kind of the apotheosis of vince mcmahon's sports entertainment idea uh it starts with um billy martin doing the ring announcing while howard finkel i'm pretty sure just tells him what to say and he just repeats what howard finkel says like if billy martin alumnus of my high school berkeley high school california billy martin, one of our many uh well-known alumnus uh we got we got boomer esiason at east Islip high school that's it but he was a good one jack lane is berkeley uh was berkeley uh, we got a lot of them i went I went to high school with all of the Lonely Island guys, although I was older, and Rebecca Romaine, although I was younger. So I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, really, Rebecca oh, Romaine? <laughs> Did you say yeah, hi? Was like, it was like a senior when I was big high school, senior when I was a freshman, and then like Sandberg and all the Lonely Island guys were freshmen when I was a senior. So uh, well, very, very, a long storied history of success from Berkeley High School. I am not, not even on the top uh the uh, top 150 of most successful alumni. All I have to do is win two NFL MVPs and I'll be ahead of Boomer. So that's good. Um, uh, but so he does the announcing and then Liberace comes down. I believe he's the ring, uh, the timekeeper. Uh, he comes down with the Rockettes and then uh, Muhammad Ali is the guest enforcer outside of the ring, uh, which I don't even know how much, I don't even fully remember how much he gets involved. Uh, I don't know if he had been dealing with Parkinson's at that point, but he was like, not, he didn't talk or say anything. Comes in and clears the ring at one point. Oh, right, right. Yeah, Yeah, but he doesn't like play like a, I I think it's kind of in some ways a precursor to that Tyson WrestleMania 14 idea, but not nearly as involved in the storyline because this is very much like a, a presentation of a match that has a storyline but all of the stuff that is presented around the match isn't storyline. It isn't important to what they're telling in the ring or the action per se. It is. And that's why to me, it's kind of shocking that you liked this match. I need to know why. Can we start with that? Cause it's so pro wrestling to me or why sports entertainment. I should say sports but, entertainment. Look, I, this is what I, 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 I I, nobody likes pro wrestling more than me, and I, I, I like all kinds of stuff, and I appreciate. Uh, so I don't know if I would say I liked it. I certainly didn't hate it. And I thought it was pretty good, and I kind of enjoyed it. I'm a big Piper fan. I think Piper is one of the great professional wrestlers of all time, and I really, really just enjoy watching him perform. And he's like one of those guys that like a little like Negro Casas 
or you know it's just like I, I could watch him do anything i could just watch him on the apron you know making you know doing stuff and even if it's not wrestling so i just really really am just i'm completely in the bag for piper and i thought he was a lot of fun in this um i didn't think i i and i kind of enjoyed mr t as a guy who would clearly had a week of pro wrestling training if that but a guy at one point who was like a state high school amateur wrestling champion. So because of that, we talked about the how this was the opposite of battle arts. But Mr. T's stuff was all him doing like uh, single leg takedowns and reversals and go-behinds. And it was like there was more actual wrestling in a WWE match than I can remember. All the, and then Piper obviously is a good wrestler. And he's like, okay, I can we can do a section where I'm going to do rides and you can try to take me down and I'm going to give you my arm. And so I kind of enjoyed the Mr. T because it was so different than WWE stuff at any point in the eighties. You never, when, when did you ever see anybody do any actual like wrestling wrestling since, since backland? No, that was made illegal. I was going to say post backland, that was illegal for years. They outlawed it. So any actual like takedowns or actually, I really kind of enjoyed Mr. T as a guy who's like, I don't know how to bump. You know, nobody really showed me how to do that. I, you know, I'm very, very, very popular. I'm a huge celebrity. So I'm not going to, and I'm not a fucking Mark like Bag Bunny. So I'm not going to spend lots of energy learning how to do this. I'm just going to like, it's a paycheck gig for me. So yeah, you'll kind of let Hogan and, you know, uh, Ricky Steamboat spend three hours showing me how to do something. And I, but what I can do, what I do remember is that I was, you know, a high school wrestler. So yeah, a wrestle. Well, wrestle. It's wrestling, right? Like, so I kind of enjoyed that as a as a thing. I and uh, you know, I really like Piper. I thought Orger was fine. I thought Hogan was pretty shitty in this. I mean, oh yeah, you know, it's yeah. At one point, you know, I'm not a guy who like isn't. At one point in my life as a wrestling fan, I was a real like Hogan hater. You know, somebody who grew up watching Hogan as a kid, but you know, and then got when you know I'm a teenager and and a little young in my twenties and kind of a you know somebody who very much was an opposite of the Hogan ethos. Yeah. Right. Especially oh, yeah. like in love was the top of W stuff. I've learned to appreciate him more as I've gotten older and less. Oh, definitely. Uh, I have too. Uh, minus the racism, yes. but <laughs> I mean, seems like a terrible person but as a wrestler. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, but Hogan definitely would have this, this sort of, very performative aspect about his wrestling where it's like watch me throw a bunch and you're like look at me do a body slip and sometimes it really felt like a lot of times hogan it feels like a guy who's who's you know half speed demonstrating what professional wrestling is supposed to look like but not actually giving any impact so the, some of his stuff in that was really like the significantly less organic and interesting as a wrestler in this match than Mr. T. Forgot Mr. T is a guy who clearly didn't know what he's doing, but at least that kind of looked, there was some struggle in that. And it felt like a contest in a way that the Hogan stuff really felt like Hogan walking through the Hogan thing to the very, very last row of Madison Square Garden in a way that always kind of bugged me about Hogan matches. When oh, so he... It was a WWE match. I love how you just like, you explained all this stuff and you were like, oh, and then they did the Hogan poses. <laughs> like It was great. And then Hogan poses, which is literally, uh, Bruce Pritchard said, that talked about this, like that is the entire marketing campaign and model and business model of WWF at this point. It's literally, let's get people near Hogan, make them look as big a star as possible and let everybody else do the work. And and I think you can speak to this because you've probably seen more of it. He's not, Hogan isn't a bad worker. Like I've seen him work enough that he's like totally capable of like an arm bar or basic things, throwing a punch that doesn't look like, I've watched him in Japan, a little bit of him in Japan. And it looks like a normal wrestler wrestling a match, not a guy like, playing to everybody so for me it's it's really interesting how much they whittled down hogan in matches and presentations like this and how little they big 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 match hogan you know you go watch if you watched hogan at, at a bought the boston garden or something like that around this period it wouldn't be as pantomime you know what i mean like mm -hmm. you know if you watch a and that's what i mean is it's like it's he's the character and the person are so propped up that it's shocking to me. And if you listen uh, to the, this match, but other WrestleMania main events in particular, um, 
the idea that Hogan is unequivocally a hero to everyone is challenged way more and way more reasonably. And I think part of what works in this match for me is the presentation part with Monsoon and Gorilla, uh, not Gorilla, Monsoon is Gorilla, uh, Monsoon and Ventura. Like, I really liked the commentary on this match, in particular the part you were talking about with Mr. Tate. Like the part that was the one part where it's like, because basically Ventura is explaining why what Mr. T is doing is actual like wrestling, and they're both kind of joking about what you said, which is you very rarely see this stuff in professional wrestling, and I think that does actually kind of add to the idea that like Mr. T, you like you said, he's not mind blowing, but he's totally serviceable as uh at least in this match because he has other wcw matches and stuff like that that i may make you watch just as penance for liking this match uh he has a match (laughs) where mills lane i believe is the ref Um, (laughs) oh who is it who does it kevin sullivan it's a kevin sullivan mr t match have you ever seen it and he gets his seen it right like i you know most big show wrestling i've seen it just doesn't you know how much of it he gets his shirt stuck over his head like he's in a... <laughs> and sullivan's just riding him but anyway so my thing with this match and the reason i didn't like it and i thought it was interesting you did is it felt so low grade hogan like the hogan we got like you said was bad but it was like even bad by hogan standards bad it was very like play to the crowd don't really do anything don't take any in, don't take any interesting risks at all it's very staid it is like they wanted to crystallize this idea of hogan and everybody else in the match has like an actual match does that make sense sure Do you mean, feel hogan, similar hogan was my least favorite part of the match right i like i kind of enjoyed, oh by far yeah enjoyed the mr t doesn't know what he's doing stuff you know piper obviously is i i think is is transcendent to watch uh, and Orndorff is fine. Orndorff is, you know, a, an absolutely fine '80s worker. Like, you know, I don't think he was great, uh, but he was fine, and you know, had obviously had some very good matches, uh, and even some of those other matches were pretty good. But you know, I don't think he had a ton to do in this. I think it's kind of interesting watching it again. I don't really remember this weirdly muted finish. For you expect mm-hmm. the finish to be the Hogan finish of the eight. Like I was just assume you said, how does this match end without me watching? Oh, well, he'll do the big boot and he'll do the leg drop and we'll do the whole Hogan thing. But no, it was very much like Jimmy Snuka, uh, you know, hits the Orton with the cast. And then, the you know, it's like very much like Hogan didn't even really get a moment. It was just kind of a pin after heel interference, which was sort of weird. Like you expect Hogan to you know clear the ring and finish off. I mean, it was, it's very strange they used the main event of this to set up a Paul Orndorff mm-hmm. turn as opposed to setting up, you know, as opposed to just having it be, I think later, you know, your your Hogan main events at WrestleMania were ended as Hogan triumphs. And this was like, mm-hmm. instead was like almost the kind of thing you'd see to, to set up the next, the show next month at the Madison Square Garden or Orndorff and, WrestleMania. And that's... <laughs> Yeah, and that's exactly what I meant by the fact that it feels like the third in a trilogy between the Brawl for it all and the War to Settle the Score because essentially they're trying to, and this is what I meant by, like, they're trying to just put people near Hogan to be like, they're stars too. Like, that's why they have Snooka do the run-in. That's why everybody, that's why they have Orndorff do the turn. They're kind of like, he's our big star. Which would have made sense if they did anything, and I don't like. To, I'm not going to be. Uh, I'm not going to look back at the booking from 1985 and be like, "What were you guys thinking?" Because like, <laughs> I wasn't even alive then. So, but the idea that I think what bothered me about this match, and you came in with no expectations, I think for Hogan, you just were like, "It's probably a Hogan match," and I think I had remembered because I enjoy basically other every other Hogan wrestlemania match except for that and wrestlemania 8 that like how bad he is like you said they don't even give you a hogan finish they like they're like oh we're gonna totally let you watch us cook this delicious pizza but we're throwing it in the garbage like like you get to watch all the bubbling and stuff like that but none of the actual eating or the the finish that you want that finish was like i'm not getting the big boot and the leg drop and the uh, i'm not getting that that's all you get that's the way you get these he's such a formulaic worker 
which is fine. I don't think wrong with being a Formula League worker, but it's like you got to yeah. get the formula, right? And, and, and I'm not going to get the, I'm not getting the yeah. blank drop. I'm getting a, the, this this very prime time wrestling blown manager finish you'd see a million times in the 80s where it's like oh mr fuji threw the salt into don morocco's eyes and then it's a roll-up and it's like that lazy bullshit for your wrestlemania main event you can orndorff could take a fucking leg drop piper could take a leg drop they're not like you know why why have orndorff in the i I mean i understand why the way they booked it at the end but like why have him in the match if you, why not have if you're gonna do the Orndorff turn, why not have Orton in the match? Orton takes the finish, and Orndorff cores like there are ways to do that, and th- I think that's what for me in the trajectory of WrestleMania, knowing that match is the first match, it's kind of mind blowing to me. I I didn't write about it specifically relative to all the other WrestleMania main events when I went over all of them because it's so it's so outside the context of anything, and like I. I, I think the idea that it played for you because of the people you liked in it is kind of what they were hoping for, for the non Hogan fans, I guess, when they were watching is someone like you would have went, I don't like this Hogan guy, but I love Piper. I'll watch this. Oh, that was pretty good. I still don't give a shit about Hogan. So like, and I think that's kind of the secret thing that worked in the Hulkamania era is he, is the most important person and you have to care about like a base of people care about him that is much bigger than everybody else but there was enough stuff going on consistently not on this show but other shows that you're like oh okay like i i have stuff for me and i'll be interested to go on this journey with you because we'll probably spend a lot of time in this early milieu of the sports entertainment and like the Vince Hulkamania era, because I, I want to kind of pick your brain as to these guys that you watched in NWA, AWA, stuff like that in the context of this, this sports entertainment thing, while you pull me farther and farther into uh, the kind of the more strong style shoot style pro wrestling or whatever you happen to choose. This, this, this was the thing I grew up on. Yeah. Right, like so, it, right, so you know, we're we're talking about. Um, I'm trying to. I'm actually looking at cage match. I'll see if I can figure out when my first ever, what the actual date of the first show I went to is, because it should be something that's findable. Um, okay, I found it. So the first show I ever went to was uh, was uh, October second, nineteen eighty five, a house show at the Oakland Coliseum. Um, so after WrestleMania one, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't a fan during WrestleMania one, but not that far afterwards, I was, I was nine and that's when I started getting into wrestling. So the wrestling that I, I grew up on, there wasn't, I didn't grow up in an area that had a territory. There wasn't Mm -hmm. a Bay area wrestling territory in the eighties at that point. It was, it was over by then. It was the territory that I went to was, I would go to a ton of Oakland Coliseum and some cow palace WWF house shows. So like the first, this was the card of the first show I ever went to. So you're, you'd start out with Adrian Adonis, Steve Gatorwolf, uh, then Les Thornton, Jose Luis Rivera, Bob Orton, Lanny Poffa, uh, the dream team of Brutus Beefcake and Greg Valentine against Mike Rotunda and Mr. Wrestling 2. Oh, I kind of- and I remember this being like thing because Mr. Wrestling 2 was a non-announced Wyndham replacement because Wyndham had left the WWE. So all the promos for this show that we were built in was the idea that it was, was going to be Wyndham and Rotunda trying to get their titles back. So I was very convinced at nine-year-olds, like, oh, they'll get their titles back. This is their chance. And then I was like, who the fuck is this guy in the mask? <laughs> Mr. Wrestling too. Because at that point, as a WWF fan at nine years old, all the guys with masks were jobbers, right? Were the executioner. Those are all guys who like what my dad used to call jokes, where they were guys would like lose in three minutes. So I had no, I was nine. I didn't have any, this is even before I became, a little later, I would be a guy who would read all that wrestling magazine. I had no idea who Mr. Wrestling 2 was. He wasn't the guy who was on TV at that point. And I was, and obviously he's a legend, mm-hmm. one of the greats. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was like, what is this bullshit? Who the fuck is this guy? He even has a ridiculous jobber name, Mr. Wrestling 2. Right? If you're like that, that sounds like the kind of guy who would lose in three minutes to Magnificent Morocco on, Prime, on, uh, on WWE Superstars. So that match, and then it was the Hillbillies of Hillbilly Jim and Uncle Elmer against Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik, RIP Iron Sheik. We learned that 
earlier today, and I saw he was in the first wrestling show I ever went to, uh, apparently. And then Andre the Giant, King Kong Bundy, um, count main event. So that was the first show. So this was was my this was it. This was my intro to pro wrestling as a child. Was this very much this era of W uh, WF right? So I went to I would go. I, they they would run the Oakland Coliseum once a month. And I went to a ton of those shows with my dad when I was like nine, 10 years old, where it'd be like, you know, I saw Hogan, Adrian Dawson. You know, my memory's not great. Like, the only thing I wrote, the only way I was able to find the date of the show was because of the very weird Mr. Wrestling 2. Like, I was like, well, if I, if I search Rotunda and then I search Wrestling 2 and I search Oakland, they've got to come up with it. Not those guys ran that show a bunch, but. So it's funny you're saying I'll introduce you to this. So it's like, no, this is it. This is my, this is my, this is the ape. This is what started me on this insane journey that led me here was this very specific era of WWF so wrestling. Where I would supporting superstars and then I would watch the main event. And then through that, when I became really into this, that's how I started like branching out and, and realizing that. That worldwide, uh, NWA Worldwide aired at like 11 o'clock at night. And for some reason, my parents would let me watch that, even though it was 10, because it was a latchkey kid that was somewhat semi-neglected. And then, you know, <laughs> and then like, from that, it was AWA on on ESPN. And then it was world-class reruns on ESPN. I don't know if this is something you knew, Nick, because you're younger than me. But at one point, ESPN used to show Legends of World-Class Championship Wrestling. So it was Von Erich stuff. But it wasn't... It wasn't um, contemporary mm-hmm. so they would show like 85 stuff in 87 so you would watch like it would just be like every day during the day at like noon they would show legends of world-class wrestling it would be like the von erics and Freebirds and gino and 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 uh and chris adams and all of the all of those at bruiser brody and that would be like that was the territory i watched because it was on espn and you could just watch it in the middle of the day um and through that then it was wrestling magazines you know, at, at, and then, I, and then, and it's so funny to me because like I have tried, so I grew up on uh, famously in my family, my dad put me in front of WWF two days home from the hospital, like, and I've watched it basically ever since. And I did like my, my excursion, my walkabout, whatever you want to put it, my room springa of non WWE stuff, but I found that I've always come back to it. So I always assume that people who don't have my brain disease like never watched WWE to start because it would have completely like I've watched a ton of wrestling that isn't WWE and I just have never really cared about it on any kind of level. I mean, I was at ROH shows from the time they were in the grand ballroom down to the Hammerstein ballroom. Like I went to basically every ROH show for a year period, like 2005 to 2009, 2010, maybe 11. Like I went to all of them because I went, I was at Hofstra. So it's right. You just hop on the train and you go to the show and it's the only thing I could really afford. So like, I've been to all those shows. I like them. But, like, even looking back, I'm just like, I have always preferred WWE. Is there something wrong with me? Because basically everybody else I know that doesn't prefer WWE didn't start with WWE. So it's very interesting to me that this is what you started. It's like, you know, at some point you turn on uh, TBS when we got cable or you turn on Worldwide. I'm thinking it's like, holy shit, Ric Flair. Holy shit, Dusty Rhodes. I mean, you got to remember the thing that broke me of this and turned me into this. What I mean, this 87 NWA, that's flair. It, it is at his peak, right? That's Dusty Rhodes at his peak. That's, you know, the the four the the four horsemen and the road warriors and and and, and uh you know the Rock and Roll Express and 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 Magnum T. I mean, that shit is cool as hell. And that's just so much. I was so in a way where the WWE stuff was very much cartoony, you know, and then you watch Ric Flair and you talk and listen to him and you're like, and it's just like, holy hell, that's, this is something, you know, this is something completely different, right? This is something like, you know, uh, I can't even blow your mind kind of stuff or dusty roads with these like promos that are like, sermons from you know like a you know a, a backwoods preacher and just you know I, so much more evocative than like you know 
Tuesday Night Titans or something like that, which was just felt to be, which is always that's hate I speech. Mean, <laughs> it really Fuji Vice is not Dusty Rhodes. It's a very different thing, and you know, and and that feels racist when you put it like. That. <laughs> uh, so, and then you know, like I would get like another thing that would be a big thing would be renting videotapes like would i would get you know like on movie nights where my you know i convinced my dad if they were you know to let me rent a wrestling tape and then you know i started to gravitate more towards the weirder and more obscure stuff because that was the stuff that i couldn't see on tv right like so i would be much more into starcades renting the finding the video store that had starcade versus every video store had the same bloopers blumber body slaves mm-hmm. tape that i'd seen 20 times before so i was like oh, i don't know i've seen this i saw the thing where hogan teamed with mean gene okerlin and he did the and he uh and mean gene trained while he had a cigar in his mouth i've seen that match like that, that that tapes out every video store right like oh but i found this like sort of sleazy video store that's it's basically just porn but they've got some videos up in front so it's not just a porn store right so it's like they got you know, the, the, they got RoboCop and they got, you know, like, you know, whatever, you know, you're, you know, Rocky Three, and they have those in front. It, the back is just all porn. And those are the those ones that were mostly porn were the ones where you would be able to find, like, I want to hurt people. Or you want, or you find, like, porn. Yeah, the, the real sicko real shit. Sicko. <laughs> like, okay, this, is, this stuff is grimier and this stuff is, is, you know, and then, you know, what I would, what my parents would do a lot was they would, you know, my mom would run errands and just dump me at Delauer's magazine news store in, in on Broadway Avenue in Oakland when she went shopping. And I would just sit there and on the floor of this giant new newsstand, just read wrestling magazines. Right. And that, you know, that would be a babysitter for an hour. <laughs> Very, they, they, my parents would have definitely had CPS call on them. If that was a thing that would happen in like 1987, it really wasn't. So like, it would just, you know, there's a Phil, you go read, go read, wrestling gold and wrestling eye and pro wrestling illustrated and just inside wrestling you'll just sit there and read that stuff and you know and that was obviously because you know those after mags they had issues a lot of times with the wwe especially when the wwf magazine started they'd have issues getting photographers so mm-hmm. they would focus a lot of their coverage on the stuff that wasn't the wwf right and that was all the stuff that was a little harder to get and because it was harder to get it was just so oh yeah that's, i loved getting the wrestle like the wrestling magazines their names are escaping me but like pro wrestling illustrated stuff like that uh, where it was like i felt like i was getting like the stuff wwf didn't want me to know if that makes sense because it was so insulated as a like a, a canonical universe do you know what i'm saying like in in terms of that like from like a literary perspective you don't know what's going on like I watched WCW somewhat frequently, but for me, it was just the, like, the way in which it, I was, okay, so I grew up during, I was five in 1992, I think my first show was when I was six or seven at the Nassau Coliseum. Um, and so I grew up in like, when you talk about like the cartoony era, I grew up in the cartoony, cartoony era. So whenever I watch a match, like Orange Cassidy for me is, and Matt Hardy actually said this the other day with the Undertaker thing of like, to me, Orange Cassidy is like the kind of character I grew up on. So it's very interesting to see like that kind of super gimmicked out part of their wrestling style is like pulled through their character. That the idea of like someone like a Ric Flair or Arn Anderson, who eventually became my favorite wrestler of all time. The idea that watching them and just being like, oh, that's cool. is like, I, and you watched sports. I don't know what it was. I just never thought, I did never cared if wrestlers were cool. I think that's what it was. Or I just liked that they did the spots I like. Like I, I've been told throughout my entire life, I have this very middle brow sense of things and like what I like or don't like. And it's, it's always interesting to engage with someone who's watched and seen everything because it lets me gauge like how much like i said at the beginning of the show how much of a mark i am and it makes me feel slightly better that you although see this stuff as cartoony you don't see it as like less than inherently which i was a concern we had first talked like we we would appear on podcasts together and you'd 
kind of make fun of me. And then I like listen to you and I, it, hearing you talk about it, it's clear how much you love pro wrestling. And I'm very excited to talk about this stuff with you going forward. But we did want to, before we leave, talk real quick about the Iron Sheik. Now you grew up, you're a couple of years, about 10. How old are you? I'm, I was born in 1976. So was that maybe 46? Okay. Yeah, so I'm 87. So, um, yeah, you're about 10 years, 10, 11 years older than I am. So you were much more aware of the Iron Sheik. Uh, did you kind of have... As we mentioned, it was the very first show I ever went to. Yeah. Right, the, as part of the Nikolai Volkov tag team. Um, and, you know, it was part of, like, I would watch the Hulk Hogan wrestling cartoon, um, you know, as a kid watching cartoons. And he was a character on that. And, and, and you know, his... He wasn't an active wrestler for... You know, I mean, he was basically done by 91 or 92 right so you know if i started wrestling watching wrestling in 86 i had about five six years of the iron Sheik, but the last five or six years right so he's not a guy and he's not a guy and you know that and i think his sort of later run he was very very cartoony right like very like kind of over the funny and we watch that stuff in hindsight there's a, a certain camp to it mm-hmm. um but he was a Oh, the if you go back and look at some a little older than that Iron Sheik, is a pretty pretty impressive wrestler. He was a really good performer. I mean, I that the I think the you know the the boot camp match with Sergeant Slaughter. Have you ever seen that match? I have, but a very long time ago, and with a lot of drugs. One of the the great wrestling matches of all time. I mean, it really is. It was. I wrote about it in Way of the Blade. I mean, it is. It's it's incredible and he is great at it. And, you know, there's some really fun stuff with him and Backlund. He was a great amateur wrestler too. We talked about the complete end of amateur wrestling until the last time anybody ever did it for 20 years was probably Mr. T, but there was some, some of those Backlund iron Sheik matches were really like guy, a pair of guys who were really high level grapplers, you know, getting a chance to really stretch out and, and wrestle on the mat. So there's some really fun iron Sheik stuff. He's a guy who, and you know, obviously, super memorable and and, you know being the guy who the bridge between backlund and hogan that's a historically super important thing um you know he's basically the first ww like vince mcmahon's wwf champion like i think because he's like you said he is a character he is a gimmick on top of being like just to compare real quick like harley race was the toughest guy because he was the toughest guy like iron Sheik was kind of forced to be a caricature while being an actual professor a professional wrestler and like proud man who also had to do like usa hockey so i i for me the iron Sheik kind of represented i, I don't want to make it like sound dramatic but kind of like the nobleness of caring about your job and wanting to do it well like and just being like a good guy that like did what he was supposed to and worked hard and not just in like, a, Oh, he's a, like a, a, some kind of immigrant story, but just the idea that like that guy played a major role in the history of wrestling, not just by being at the right place at the right time, which you may think based on like, well, they needed a guy, but by being somebody who could be relied on, uh he was i believe offered money to hurt hogan like he was a pretty good guy who did the right thing more often than not and he also has my single favorite wrestling story which is the fact that he and jim duggan got suspended because they were in the car together doing blow not because they were in the car doing blow <laughs> no i remember that when that happened it was like i remember, remember it was like that being like oh this guy's guys aren't supposed to be together they hate each other driving together the iron cheek the enemy of the america what's going on with this <laughs> i think i was like 11 when that happened but i definitely remember it definitely remember it seeming askance in a really weird way when I heard about it. oh they were arrested together that's terrible um so <laughs> rest rest in power iron uh iron cheek um, and I think uh, we can wrap it up now. I'm going to tighten all this up, so don't worry. Um, okay. So yeah, I think we can wrap it all up with that lovely note about cocaine and the perils of cocaine and uh, breaking kayfabe. Uh, sure, you live to 81, so cocaine's not that bad for you, clearly. Right? Like, <laughs> you know, he's not, he, I didn't die when he was 30. He died when he was 81. That's a reasonable 
age to die at. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my god. Sorry, I said I thought I should have said possession while breaking kayfabe. I should have been more clear. <laughs> um. So yeah, what do you what do you have to plug, Phil? I know you have things to plug, having been on podcasts. <laughs> Uh, not a ton. We're putting up my old ringer column on uh, our Patreon. So people should check that out. That's coming out, you know, at some point during the week. Um, I got some things in the, you know, in the mix, hopefully, and we'll see how many of them get mixed out into actual, uh, things that people can read. Uh, but nothing, I'm nothing. I'm super ready to plug yet, but there are book projects and articles and stuff like that that are in various forms of gestation that hopefully at some point somebody will read, uh, um and uh, your actual I, book which you've published well my actual book that i've published away the blade a uh, hundred of the greatest bloody wrestle, uh, matches in professional wrestling history that's available on amazon people should uh hopefully if they've listened to this they've already bought that because why else would you be listening to me talk for an hour and a half but go buy it if you have it um and uh uh i also i did a podcast with chris zellner sort of an r.i.p podcast to my good friend dean rasmussen who's maybe the greatest professional wrestling writer of all time. Um, and so folks should listen to that and they should go read him because he was the best. Um, yeah. And I'll, uh, I'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, you can check me out at the Nixu at T H E N one C K S D E R on pretty much every single, uh, solitary social media, um, account or platform and uh you can check us out we should be on spotify google play the apple podcast store overcast i think that's it no oh and pocket casts are uh r.i.p uh but uh so yeah just check us out uh, rate review and subscribe to us uh, if you haven't already it'd be weird if you were listening to the podcast and hadn't uh so yeah uh, until next time uh i've been nick I've been Phil. And this has been us explaining wrestling to each other. I'll never log off, I'll never log off, I'll never log off.